Welcome to the Eye of the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, the zoo beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com. We're joined by Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist for the Post-Dispatch. Ben, we've got a lot of football to discuss. This is going to be an interesting month. It's going to be October on Saturday when number one Georgia comes to Columbia. This is uh, quite a month for Missouri. Here they are sitting there at two and two. I'm not sure how much longer they will be 500 or if they will be 500 at all the rest of the season after uh, after number one Georgia visits. This is the first time the defending national champions come to Columbia since Missouri's first year in the SEC when Alabama was coming off winning the 2011 title. And then they were number one. Also the first time number one team in the AP poll has been to Columbia since uh, Alabama in 2012. So Ben, this is quite a stretch for the Tigers. Starts off with a big one with Georgia, but then more winnable games after that we'll get to. But here they are, two and two, after just a soul-crushing day at Auburn. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, put that Auburn loss on the list of painful ones. And I know it's a long list, and we don't like to go through the history, although that one absolutely is up for consideration there. I know that the old cliche is like you never want to overlook an opponent. You never want to. You never want to. You know, look past a certain game, and certainly Georgia doesn't want to do that with Missouri. They can't overlook anybody. Everybody's going to get their best shot. Yada yada yada. I'm sure that's Kirby. What Kirby Smart is telling his team. However, it might be in Missouri's best interest to overlook the Georgia game in terms of of not uh, just just not get consumed by it. Because my point there is they've got games three games after that this month that are going to offer an opportunity to kind of, you know, put their season in a brighter light. Right now, it's certainly not. Um, Florida, Vandy, South Carolina, all up left in October. And we can kind of get into that as to why, you know, why there might be some optimism there at a time where it's going to be tough to have optimism coming off of, you know, a game Missouri really lost twice. And then going into a game that's probably going to be as close to impossible to win as any they'll play this season against Georgia. but. I guess before we show you the sunny side, we should probably slog through <laughs> all the things that went wrong at Auburn. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna reveal this day, but I actually wasn't watching the game live because I was in the emergency room with a minor medical, minor minor medical procedure. It was not caused by watching the game. However, uh, seeing what happened once I got out, it was clear that um, it was clear that Missouri fans were in pain <laughs> as well. I don't mean to make light of it, but my God, it's like you, uh, it's like they shook the the pain Rubik's cube of, of, or magic eight ball of ways to lose and then thought, oh, that's not bad enough. Let's give it another go. And they crammed two of them into the same game. And I understand Missouri fans who are saying, hey, if you can't win a game like that, that's right in your hands for the taking, not once, but twice. And how can anybody sit there and talk about how they could beat Florida, could beat South Carolina? Um, you know, that's not how football works. But uh, it certainly is a painful game and one where I can understand how a lot of people who maybe were excited or even encouraged about this Missouri football season felt that that was their eject point. Yeah, you know, I I don't know how much we need to rehash from from Auburn. I think there are a few plays, though, that are worth discussing a little bit because they've generated discussion and, and almost a debate with some folks. I don't really get it. I mean, just bad things happen. I, I don't know if it. I don't really think it's a matter of bad choices were made. You know, Missouri's defense, start off with them. They played really well for the game, but 
again, they, they a slow start. Blake Baker was defensive coordinator. Was really concerned again. They came out very similar, like in the K State game where they gave up two early scores and then picked up from there and then were really good the rest of the game. Auburn was one dimensional. They barely tried to throw the ball. And uh, to Missouri's credit, they they played the run really well. Uh, held them to three point three yards of offense per play which was the best for a Missouri defense in an SEC game outside of playing Vanderbilt since I think 2018. So uh, they had 12 tackles for loss, the most in an SEC game since 2014. So uh, that's, that was a pretty good year. Marcus Golden, Shane Ray were on that team. Uh, so they did, that was, that was a positive. There's no, there's no other way to spin it. Uh, you give up, Four, two touchdowns on the road in an SEC game, that should be enough. But as we saw with Missouri's offense and just the way they melted down uh, late in the game and then the big mistake in overtime, it was just too much. But, hey, let's let's talk about the decision that Eli Drinkwitz made to kick the field goal late in regulation, get the 39-yard pass from Cook to Lovett, which was more than they needed. I, I, I was sitting there in the press box at the time just looking at the field and thought, oh, they need to get it to about the 30, 35. And, you know, if that's as close as they can get, that's well within Harrison Mevis's range. They'll be okay. Well, they get all the way down to the three, still time left. If they want to punch it in or try, instead, Eli Drinkwitz goes, uh, takes two knees, gets the ball in the center of the field, and goes for the field goal. Would, would have been, if he misses it, Harrison Mevis, it's the shortest miss of his career. So you'd think odds are pretty good that he's going to make it and you're going to walk home a winner, and we know what happens. He pushes it right, and the uh, game goes to overtime. What do you think about that decision to kick the field goal? Well, to me, in, in the moment, it makes sense, and it's one of those ones that's going to get second-guessed a ton after. Right. And you try not to do that because in the moment you think, okay, here's a guy who's made, I think he was 10 for 10 on field goals within that range in his career. They're talking about an All-American kicker who has not been quite as – as strong this season as he has been in the past, but that's a money range for him. He makes those kicks and he makes all those extra points. And it's about as automatic as anything Missouri can do offensively. And yeah. I think that second part is important because a lot of the time that we've had discussing on this podcast or writing or questioning or commenting or chatting or whatever has been questions, concerns about this offense. And that's still probably the biggest concern about this team right now. So I guess it's hard for me to kill Eli for, managing a game that he's trying to win with those same concerns in mind yeah you can try to punch it in what if there's a fumble saw what happened in in overtime what if there's an interception Brady Cook has thrown as many interceptions as he has touchdowns yeah so I can understand why with the offense that Eli knows better than anybody and knows the the issues that it has right now why he would you know lean heavily toward hey let's Let's get the ball to Mevis with a great chance to win the game. And let's bet on that, especially if a miss, while it doesn't win, it, it doesn't lose you the game. If right. you're trailing by two there, then no, you probably you probably play it differently. But uh, it's one of those ones that if you miss it, you're going to get killed for it. If you make it, nobody says anything. And it's treated as, hey, they won the game. So it's, a, it's tough for me. I mean, I, I think there are legitimate concerns and questions to ask about Eli's offense. Um, again, you know, we'll probably talk more about Luther Burden. He was hurt, it sounds like, but another game where he wasn't heavily involved. They have too many, his team has too many penalties. 
They're giving up, I think, the second most penalty yards per game for a team that can't move the ball and score, which is a huge problem. I mean, you, this team cannot afford to give away any yards. Um, and, and there's clearly questions that can be asked about, you know, everything from recruiting along the offensive line or running back or quarterback positions to the development of burden to play calling. I mean, that's all fair game. I just, to me, that, that feels a little second guessing hindsight to go at him for that field goal when we all know the, the problems that this offense has. And there's no guarantee that if they would have tried to punch it in there, that they wouldn't have wound up on the 20 right. <laughs> just, right. or, or turning it over. I mean, that's just the reality of this offense. If you've got, yes, if you've got Tim Tebow and, you know, or Alabama's offensive line, then you, then you run it up the middle or you call a quarterback keep and you try to get it in there and then kick as a last resort. But the way this offense has performed at times this season, there's just no guarantee it would have worked. Yeah, absolutely. On, on third down and short this year, needing three yards or less, and they were on the, the, uh, the three-yard line, Missouri has converted just six of 11 times this year. So basically 50%. So now you're down you know, on the most precious real estate of the field. Um, we've seen Missouri's short yardage offense this year. It's not very good. So you're taking a calculated risk there. Do you have a better shot of making the field goal with your automatic kicker than you do blocking Derek Hall and Colby Wooden, who are just blowing up Missouri's offensive line during the day? I mean, if you get sacked and stripped there, then you don't have the chance to kick the field goal. You know, then he, then Drinkwitz is, you know, absolutely getting crushed for making that call. If you have a shaky kicker, sure, then you, then you, you don't think about it. If you, if your long snapper is hurt and you got your backup guy, your holder is messed up, um, you know, then you, then you decide maybe that's not the best call, but, but that unit has been money for Mizzou uh, other than a miss last week, a 39 yard miss the week before, you know, on short kicks under 40 yards, he's never missed uh, or under 30 yards. He's never missed. And I think he's only, he'd only missed one under 40 yards in the last three years. So that's the automatic call. Every NFL coach in the league is going to make that call. The Chicago bears just won that way on Sunday. There was a game against Kansas in, in 2009, I believe it was, at uh, Arrowhead where tie game. Gary Pinkle did the exact same thing, called two very short yardage plays inside the 10, inside the five maybe. He called two timeouts to get the ball in the middle field. Grant Russell kicked it, game over, beat Kansas. Th that's just what you do. Um, again, unless you have concerns with your field goal unit, and I don't – up until yesterday, I don't think Missouri really did uh, up until Saturday. So – uh, easy to second guess that one. The, the, the next one that uh, I didn't make a big deal about this in my story, and uh, I'll, I'll explain why. But in overtime, Auburn lines up a 44-yard field goal. Darius Robinson jumps off sides. Auburn misses it. Then they get a chance to kick the 39-yarder and make it. Just on the surface, looks really bad. But you watch that, that kick. Robinson jumped so early. They threw the flag so early. That came like a full second before he kicked it. I think the kicker knew he was getting a second chance because the flag was already out. So who knows? It's kind of like a, a, a pitcher when he does his, his delivery and the batter calls timeout. He still finishes the pitch, but it's not like a he doesn't put all his effort into it. I want to say that's what happened on the field goal. So maybe he would have made it had Missouri not jumped off sides or not done it so late or so early. Um, either way, he still makes it. But the game's not over there. You know, the missed – Missouri's missed field goal, that could have won the game. Whatever happens to Auburn there with the field goal, the game's not over. They still have a chance, and then we know what happened to Missouri's overtime when Nate Pete 
fumbles it going into the end zone, which I have, we've seen it before in, in football where guys fumble going into the end zone or whatever, but not, I have, I, don't, I can't recall it happening on a potential game winning play. Man, that's the one that, that's the one that you'll remember that everyone will yeah. remember. And it's unfortunate for the young man, but it's also a play that I think it came from good intentions, right? It's trying to score the touchdown, but it's also a play that just can't happen. I mean, yeah. it, it can't happen. It's one of the first things that you learn, you know, when you're, when you're playing football at a young age, I mean, talking young enough where certain the heavy guys have stripes on their helmets and can't carry the ball. I mean, we're talking yeah. like one of the first <laughs> rules you don't sacrifice giving up the ball to get an inch, to get a touchdown, to get a first down. If you're going to lose the ball, right? You've got to, the ball is the most sacred thing in your possession. You've got to protect it at all times. You cannot leave it out there like a, like a loaf of bread and, and get it plucked. And if you do, then you better damn sure make the play. That's the rule. I mean, if you're going to put the ball in a, in a compromising spot to make a play, you better make the play. And who is it his it's ultimately the player's responsibility to take care of the ball it is coaching to try to you know emphasize those points but I mean it's just a it's just the kind of play that winning doesn't happen to winning teams right I don't, I don't mean to sound like a uh, like a jerk but that's those are just plays that winning teams make right and same thing for the field goals I mean those are those are plays that winning teams make all American kickers on winning teams they make those field goals and they win the game and they're never in that spot where they have to worry about something like that happening over time. So that to me was a takeaway for in this game. It's not one play or one call. It's how does Missouri get to being on the winning side of a game like that? And you'd hope that in year three, they'd be past that, but you don't really want, you know, 25% of your season to be gone in year three. And the coach is talking about, they got to figure out how to win games. Right. Um, that's, that's not, really something you want to hear but unfortunately for this team it's very much a reality right now right right and and after the game Drinkwood said the next step is finishing and it, he said it in a way like okay got blown out at K-State now we're a step closer to the to being complete because all we need to do now is finish well that doesn't mean that every game now is going to be close and it's just a matter of learning how to finish but it is something you need to learn how to do and this team has not has not done that I mean i it, it may be, it may be the biggest next step is to learning how to finish like that. Um, is it better than not being competitive? Sure. But it probably hurts more in the moment too, because you were so close. And Auburn's and, not good. I mean, like that's Auburn's not good. Yeah. Like, let, let's let's Kansas make that State, clear. Kansas State lost, turned around and lost to, to uh, Tulane, but I think they're better than, than Auburn. Auburn, oh, is yeah. a team no, that, Auburn is a team that was, I think fully prepared to fire its head coach. Right. They lost to Mizzou. They had a backup quarterback playing. I mean, it was, it was not a strong Auburn team. And I think, I think the more you know about how rocky Auburn is right now, the more that stands out that these were, these were two teams that were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here. And, and Missouri found ways to not just lose to Auburn, but really kind of beat itself oh, yeah. in, that, in that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, we've crushed Missouri for not being able to win on the road and this continues it again. It's kind of like that Boston college game last year where it was right there for them to end that, get, get rid of that streak. And I put Boston college kind of in a similar spot as Auburn. And it's not very good. Uh, there were 86,000 there. And I thought Missouri handled the environment pretty well. I mean, they didn't, they didn't look rattled. Uh, you know, when the game came late, it was kind of similar to the, <laughs> 
for Brady Cook, it was kind of similar to that bowl game where he did what he's supposed to do to lead them down late in the game. Uh, and then he's taken out of the game because you go with the, the field goal kicker and then it's up to the defense and, and then a couple handoffs. Uh, so I, I think maybe it was step in the right direction for him. Maybe he missed some big third down throws that, you know, a, a, a good SEC quarterback needs to make. So, I, you know, I, I, I think there's still issues and challenges there, no doubt. But yeah, I um, think the completion percentage is something to watch with him. Yep. It was pretty high entering this season in limited sample sizes. But one of the things that kind of built that argument that he's going to be better than people assumed was that completion percentage and it's it's taken a dip yep and it's it's not massive misthrows it's some of the interceptions have been just a tick behind a guy or maybe a tick too hard and hit off a receiver's hand it's just it's lacking a little touch and I think if he could land some of those throws then this offense could really maybe find its footing a little bit better it could convert some of those bigger plays downfield that could keep defenses honest better He's he's been a touch off at times, and I, I think it's been one of the it's not the only thing holding this offense back. Right. It is one of the things, and it's one of the things that's within his control. He yeah. can't force the offensive line to block better. He can't make the running game suddenly bloom unless it's him running around for his life. But he can try to, and I'm sure he is trying to improve some of the accuracy on those throws because that will help this offense along. And it, it's the fact that they're not a ton off, they're just a touch off a lot, kind of both build the idea that maybe he can take that next step yeah we'll see I th- he was one of nine throwing to Toski Dove and to Luther Burden the two starting outside receivers um that's got to be better you know he's, yeah. he's 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 connected with he's got a connection going with Dominic Lovett uh Lovett leads the SEC in receiving so he's doing something right there I think just needs to spread the wealth around a little bit which leads us to the Luther Burden topic um I'm I think we may be revisiting this a lot this year I, I don't want to yet compare it to a certain basketball five-star basketball player whose injury status was up and down every week and became, you know, kind of a big distraction during Conzo Martin's first season. Hey, but to, to Luther's credit, he's already contributed significantly more to Mizzou than Michael Porter Jr. He's did. played in more games. He's yeah, played in good. four. Michael played three. But just as far as like uh, the the mystery, the uncertainty, sort of lingering over this team. Um, I, I sense that, I suspect that could happen. So here's what Eli said on Tuesday: Luther is questionable for the Georgia game with an undisclosed injury. It's clearly something lower legish. You know, watching him on the sideline uh, Saturday while Robert Griffin the third was throwing a hissy fit in the press box over not throwing the ball to Luther when Luther was on the sideline, getting some treatments, clearly kind of flexing out his ankle calf was not very comfortable. Um, you know, there, there's some issue going on and are they going to play him on a pitch count? Are they going to just shelve him for a while? You know, is this, is this a pain versus injury type situation? We really don't know. We're not going to talk to Luther this week. Um, bit of a mystery do you save them for more winnable games do you think the only way you have a chance against a team like Georgia is to have a Luther Burton out there I don't know a lot to be discovered here as we move forward with the season what's what's your take I might tell him to not even come to the Georgia game because I might not want him crossing paths with Kirby I know they've recruited <laughs> him pretty hard Kirby's been praising him this week still you know get get some NIL money and get Luther like a, a vacation 
maybe uh, you can't hurricane season, so you got you got to send them maybe out west, send them to California or something. Just get them keep them away from USC though. Yeah, that's fair. There's really no place. Send them to like uh, I don't know Iowa. Well, they might they desperately need offense there, so I don't know. Maybe just let them get a staycation. But I joke. I I I I can't help but be sarcastic about this because I feel like a lot of this is just Mizzou fans being Mizzou fans. Uh, yeah. Teenager changes the words of his of his of his social media profile, and now all of a sudden there's widespread panic about about a transfer, and it's it's the most Mizzou thing ever to get so ridiculously excited and overhyped about a really great recruit, and then within four games have an avalanche of of drama and panic about the fear that he's going to leave. Other I don't know, Dave, other programs, other fan bases, they don't do this. They don't don't whip themselves into an absolute frenzy about one player on a football team and then convince themselves, you know, Armageddon is coming because the guy isn't maybe having the start that everybody hoped he would. I don't know if Luther Burton is going to leave at at this point. I mean, the portal's not open, which seems important to to point out. Also, you know, I think it, I think, if a guy is convinced that he's going to leave after four games and he probably didn't really want to be there in the first place, I think it's kind of crazy that he's now had to come out and say, Hey, I'm not the stuff I did on social media. Wasn't about me transferring. I'm a tiger. It's like, why is that even having to happen? Just because of the obsession about the fear that he's going to leave. It's, it's not healthy behavior. And I would encourage people to, to kind of try to get out of that, that cycle of it. Um, I do think there's real, substantial things here look if the kid wants to leave he wants to leave if he wants to go play for a team that has a better chance of winning a national championship he's going to then and there's nothing you can do to keep him but I do think there's things Missouri needs to do to try to figure out how can they use this asset better on their team he's not gonna they can't build their whole team around one guy right especially a non-quarterback they can find better ways if he's healthy and they got to get him healthy to to use him and put him in play there's two games now their biggest games, Kansas State and Auburn, and they didn't use him effectively. I'm talking before he got hurt at Auburn. So I think Drinkwitz has to really get to work on trying to figure out how to use him better, get him more touches. But it's also a two-way street, man. Luther's got to do everything he can do to make himself be an impactful player in games. He's got to catch passes. He's got to block when he's not getting the ball. He's got to be a guy who can be relied on, you know, play in and play out. So I think Eli was smart, and I think you asked him the question this week about Lovett, and how he's really bloomed after what I think would be described as kind of a quiet first season. Yeah, and it does sometimes take time. Now, should Luther be a guy who can flash as a freshman? Absolutely, is he that caliber of a player? He is. Can they get there? I think they have a chance if they continue to try to meet each other in the middle. And, and 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 it's disappointing. I do agree that it hasn't happened sooner and hasn't happened faster this season. That's one of the many disappointing things about this offense, though. But to say that this whole season is going to be hinging on making Luther Burden happy, that's that's impossible to do. You can't win like that. You can't build a functioning program like that, whether the player is Luther Burden or you know, Bryce Young or or anybody. That's just not how it works. When Nick Saban goes to recruit these guys, he tells them. He's going to give them a chance to compete. And then they get a whatever they get NIL-wise now is everybody's own business, right? But he doesn't promise them you're going to get the ball X times. You're going to, you're going to be a starter right away. He doesn't say any of that stuff. And I'm not comparing Eli 
Eli to Nick Saban. My point is Nick Saban has learned as de- while he's dealing with the best players in the country annually that you don't go around, you don't build your build a program by building around one guy. You build, you recruit talented players because they want to be a part of what you're doing. And that's got to be the way it works, not the other way around. The other way around is chasing things that will not last. Yeah, that's a great point. It just doesn't work in today's game to do that, especially like you said with the um, the non-quarterback whose who's production hinges on so many other things happening on the field between play calling to decision-making to protection for the quarterback, um, you know, unless you just want to snap it to him directly. And that really hasn't – the first game it worked – they, they tried it. They, 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 they tried it at Abilene Christian, and the FCS team pretty much stopped it. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I certainly there's more ways to to get him involved. But if he's on a bum ankle or a bad calf or whatever it might be, um, is it even is it even worth trying? I guess especially. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play him if, if he's Georgia. if he's limited physically. I would not play him against Georgia. And as as you know, everybody wants him to return punts. Well, if if he can't return punts, if he, all he can do is catch them, then you just have him out there to get a fair catch. You got to find somebody else that can do that. I mean, what's what's the point? Um, you know, Eli last year, remember he blamed himself for playing Mookie Cooper, bringing him back when he wasn't ready physically from a foot injury. We all saw how the Connor Bazelak thing unfolded last year. It wasn't pretty. You know, they would say, yeah, he's kind of banged up, but they wouldn't specify what, and they wouldn't really acknowledge it, and he, he could barely move out there. So. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to have something like that happen again and for it to get ugly so this is definitely something to monitor you know as as the season goes on um you know but after this georgia game and i'm not predicting missouri's gonna you know have a great october by any means but you go to florida uh let's let's hope that everybody in gainesville is safe they have to reschedule their game because of the hurricane they're going to play sunday instead of saturday you, you'd hope things are okay by the time Missouri goes there the following week. You know, that shouldn't be the main concern. But you go to Florida, right now they're two and two. Um, could very well be one and three. Heck, they could be <laughs> – that Utah game was really close and looked like a great win at the time, but Florida has not played great since then. Um, you know, it's it's at the swamp, so you, Missouri's going to be an underdog. But yeah. uh, they were not very good in the second half against a really good Kentucky team. They probably should have lost that South Florida game. They really struggled then, and then – they got in a hole against a really good Tennessee team early. So, um, yeah, I, I, is Florida beatable? Sure. But, you know, they're going to look at Missouri and say this is a game, you know, they should win. And and uh, regardless of what happens this week. Then you get Vanderbilt at home for homecoming. Uh, it's Vanderbilt. They were just completely outclassed in every phase of the game last week against Alabama. But they do look more competent against got a first down. teams. They get – yeah, <laughs> they got a couple. Um, they've beaten some bad teams already. So, they're a little bit more competent in year two under Clark Lee. Then you go to South Carolina. They uh, they just got blown out in their two SEC games. Granted, they were against two good teams in Georgia and Arkansas. Pretty shaky in some other games. Uh, Missouri's 2-0 and against them under Drinkwitz. So, you know, that game is not one you say, well, you have no chance. So there's, there's a stretch here after Georgia where uh, you lick your wounds and you say, okay, if, if you're going to be competitive in this thing, here are some opportunities going forward. So, uh, you know, they keep saying one game doesn't define this team. Well, four or five or six, that's half your season. So that will define who you are for the most part. But uh, we're going to learn a lot more about this team and how it handles things, I think, more so after the Georgia game than anything we're going to learn Saturday. What this team's direction is and, and 
where this program is going could very well be captured by those three games after the maybe the Luther Burden hype has turned down a little bit after the the you know the bandwagoners have have strayed toward whatever they're interested in now um those are the games that are probably if you're Desiree Reed Francois and you want to know what this football team is made out of and how it's being you know how it's improving every week in practice those are the games that you look at you don't go you don't really you just take your medicine in the Georgia game but by the end of this month you should have a true kind of trend line of okay rough start are things getting better and not I'm not talking about just wins and losses but how the offense comes along and, and I think really that the bulk of this concern right now is about the offense right and is it is it just a quarterback issue is all of a sudden Sam Horn going to show up next year and all of a sudden Missouri's problems are answered it doesn't look like that so far um is this offense developing are, are these players that Drinkwitz has recruited are they are they coming online and it's really a good stretch for that offense to prove that it can be better because here's the deal, Georgia. Yeah. One of the best defenses in the country. They're not going to beat Georgia. They're allowing eight points a game. Alabama is the only team in the conference allowing fewer. And I think Georgia is, has been more impressive teams so far, but those teams we just mentioned, Florida, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, they are 12, 13th and 14th in the sec when it comes to points allowed per game. They are all allowing 30 points or more per game, and they are all stacked at the bottom of the SEC. Missouri has allowed 24 and a half. Missouri's defense has been solid enough to give this team a chance to win games if its offense can improve. And I think those three games are going to be, you know, if you can't move the ball and generate points against those defenses, those three defenses, then that's a bad sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's curious too. when are we going to see some younger players play, especially on offense? And not, I'm not talking Sam Horn. I mean, I, they, they seem very committed to Brady Cook. If 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 Horn were in the plans, I think we would have seen him against Abilene Christian. But unfortunately for Missouri, they didn't get out to a big enough lead maybe to feel good about playing him. I mean, Drinkwitz is fairly conservative when it comes to some of this stuff. We haven't seen Tavares Jones yet, the running back who Callum McAndrew is writing about him this week. Um, he's an exciting young running back who got a couple carries against Abilene Christian. They wanted, they took him to the Auburn game. It was his first road game. And Drinkwood said they planned to get him the ball. They just never, you know, once they got into the heat of the game, they never gave it to him. Uh, you know, cause you got Nate Pete and you've got Cody Schrader. Those are two seniors. You're, what's the future look like in this offense? Um, yeah. You know, Luther Burden, freshman. Sure. Is he going to be here next year? Who knows? Um, you know, Makai Miller is a young freshman. We haven't really seen much of him. Uh, so yeah, there's, I, I think it's a really interesting look at this team beyond just what's the record going to be. What does the team look like? Are they going to start reflecting these recruiting classes more than, uh, we've seen on the field so far? And if not, why not? Uh, that's that's something I think is really important to look at and consider going forward. Yeah, so I guess that's our advice is to uh, put on your hard hat for the uh, Georgia game, and then you know there'll be some compelling games if you can uh, if you can get through get through Saturday for a better chance to kind of evaluate this team's direction and and where it's going. Um, but uh, I don't I don't expect any miracles on on Saturday and Columbia Day. No, this Georgia SEC team, network doesn't either. No, they don't. No, they don't. Um, it is on SEC network. They're they're still going to 
televise the game. They're just not going to have the uh, pregame show uh, on the quad. But uh, speaking of the quad, I'm looking, shifting gears, I'm looking forward to Friday night. They're going to have the Mizzou Madness basketball event on the outside at the columns. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how it's going to work logistically, but good move, I think, for Dennis Gates and for Robin Pinchton and for Desiree to just do something different to kind of generate some excitement for basketball, that which is just around the corner. Uh, we'll start practicing here and games will be here soon enough. But um, yeah, looking forward to that little change of pace from kind of a slog of a football season so far. And uh, we'll, we'll have some coverage of that possibly this weekend. And when that thing tips off on Friday night, also at the game Saturday, they're going to honor Gary Pinkle, the, the national football foundation. They tour the country and with all of the uh, players and, coaches who are going to be inducted into the hall of fame in December, they make a stop at their home campus and they honor them. They give them a plaque. They're doing a tailgate before the game. So they're going to do that for Pinkle down on the field during the first time out of the first quarter. Uh, so look forward to that. If you're going to the game, I don't know if they'll show it on TV, but neat little moment for, uh, for Gary, who's going to go into the hall of fame in Las Vegas in, uh, in December, early December. I wonder what Gary uh, thinks about uh, the way things are going right now. Maybe that'd be a podcast we can do in the, well, in the future. I'll tell you how I, I know how he feels about uh, running backs stretching the ball over the goal line. That was a no-no. He got mad at Brad Smith when he did that once. He didn't even let his running backs or ball carriers switch hands with the ball, which Nate Pete did at the last second. He went from left to right, which is a huge cardinal sin for a lot of coaches. And uh, it's a teaching point. I mean, you got it. You got to show him that. Uh, it, uh, uh, Brian Harson after the game said every coach in America will be showing their team that play. And he felt, he generally felt bad, I think for Nate Pete that he had to do that and it, go through that, but that's, you got to learn. That's something you can't do. And uh, GP would, would absolutely say the same. It is uh, remarkable how many little details can be coached and you don't do it in the game. You do it every day in practice and every every fall and every spring and there's just some things that that this team needs to tighten up on um, they're not good enough to to overlook little things right and it's little things penalties little passes that bounce off the hands um, you know stretching out for an extra yard good intentions but bad outcome there are little things that are hurting this team um, that if they were working in the right direction maybe we'd be talking about a different record Right. And it wouldn't feel like there's such a dark cloud. Now they've got bigger problems too, but sometimes the little things are things that end up standing out the most and they actually can make the, the biggest impact on your season. So maybe that's the focus for Missouri against Georgia is you can't control the opponent on the other side of the ball, but you can control the things you can control and do, you know, play fundamentally sound football. Don't make self-inflicted errors. If this team could, wipe those from their slate they would certainly have one more win and and they will have more as the season goes along if they're able to do that so there's a there's a silver lining glass half full take for what's going to be a <laughs> rough weekend in Columbia with maybe some uh maybe some brighter days ahead we'll see Dave we'll wrap this thing up and we'll uh we'll get on to it I'll see you in uh Columbia on Saturday yeah do you think Missouri can cover it's 28 points right now no you don't think so I don't think so no Georgia doesn't have a very good record against the spread as a as a heavy, heavy favorite like this under Kirby Smart, uh, more often than not, they fail to cover the numbers. So I, I would imagine there there are teams where Georgia would let the gas let up the gas on, 
then I would imagine there's uh, not that not that Kirby doesn't like Eli, but Eli's demeanor and his willingness to <laughs> to stir the pot a little bit. He's always been very good about not doing it against that toward Georgia, but uh, I think Georgia's out on a mission and it's got nothing to do with Mizzou. I think they're trying to win every game by as much as possible to prove that they were you know slighted by not being picked to win this thing again as the defending national champs. Yeah, and the fact that they're coming off a uh, not exactly a dominant win over Kent State, yeah, uh, you know, you know that those practices in, in Athens are probably not too fun this week. Nope. Yep. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We want to remind our listeners: please check us out at stltoday.com/podcast, where you can find the Eye and the Tigers podcast and all the other podcasts from our. Uh, writers and reporters at, at the Post-Dispatch. Also, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If so, please give us a rating and a comment. Those ratings make it easier for more fans and more listeners to find the Eye of the Tigers podcast. Uh, ben, I will see you on Saturday in the press box. We'll be there with Cal McAndrew, giving all of our coverage for the Missouri game at stltoday.com and the pages of the Post-Dispatch. We'll talk to you next time.